The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. To have that humility to say I might be wrong and yet the courage uh, to live out the strength of my convictions at the same time, that's, that's a really high bar. But I think it's one worth living into for me. What makes life worth living? Or asked another way, what would you be willing to die for? These are big questions, Next Big Idea Daily listeners. The kinds of questions asked in the new book, Life Worth Living, A Guide to What Matters Most. And there's no one right answer. Maybe you're a talented and creative individual and your purpose is to share your gifts with the world. Maybe your purpose is to heal the sick or reduce poverty or leave the planet better than you found it. Maybe it's to raise the best children you can, to protect your family, to serve your community, worship your God. Maybe it's to have the most fun and experience as much pleasure as possible. Over the long course of human history, different people have answered this question differently. And according to the book's co-author, Yale theologian and professor Miroslav Volf, those differences, those disagreements are worth paying attention to. It can be tempting to convince ourselves that deep down everyone actually agrees about what matters most. That would be convenient. It would help us feel confident that we've gotten the answer right. But the great religious thinkers and philosophers have not in fact agreed about what it means to flourish as a human being. The Buddha saw many things differently than Plato did. James Baldwin has a profoundly different vision of life from John Locke. Try as we might, we can't peel away the husk of their thought to find some common kernel. The same is true of us ordinary folks. For example, some of us passionately believe that it's almost always okay to put family first. Others of us suspect that putting family first leads to unfair societal outcomes and families should often sacrifice for the greater good. These aren't two ways of saying the same thing. There's a real disagreement here, an important one. We need to resist the temptation to brush aside these deep disagreements, and we need to resist the temptation to look for a common core. This is important for two reasons. First, pretending there's agreement where there is not is simply dishonest. Second, hiding our head in the sand doesn't actually do us any good. It shuts us off from the possibility of really learning from others. Sometimes facing disagreement will help us see that we haven't thought things through very well, or that we missed an important value by focusing too narrowly. Other times, opposing views will sharpen our own views and leave us with a better appreciation for our own ideals and a stronger commitment to them. So hard as it can be, it's incredibly valuable to face up to our real serious disagreements with one another about what matters most and why. Don't try to address the most important question of your life with your eyes closed. So I think you're saying here that there's not one answer to this question. There's not one 
right answer to what's worth living for. But that doesn't mean that all answers are necessarily equally good. Tell me why you think we need to kind of explore these competing visions of the good life. It would be really lovely in a certain sense if at the end of the day, we all believed the same thing about the worthiness of our shared humanity. That would be lovely. It just seems to not be true as far as we can tell. We actually have some pretty fundamental disagreements with one another about what is most worth wanting in life. And we think that to receive wisdom from these various different traditions, we have to be careful not to wash out that particularity, that difference. Can you give me any examples of what some of these competing worldviews might be? Let's take a question that seems like it might have a really easy answer. How does a good life feel? Obviously, it must just feel good. Well, what's good feeling? I don't know. There are like a bunch of different names, but they all share the quality of like pleasure or something, right? Mm -hmm. And this would be our standard unreflective answer to this question. And certain utilitarian philosophers give you a really robust argument for taking a view just like that. Mm -hmm. But then you come along and you encounter kind of large swaths of the Buddhist tradition that say, Actually, the pleasures that you wind up enjoying are precisely the sort of things that are entrapping you in a cycle of desire that is itself mm. just a bad way of being human. <laughs> it's the problem. <laughs> so yeah, pain is bad, but pleasure is a problem too. And what's needed is a sort of stance of non-attachment to either, such that the good life, what it really feels like is a sort of like deep peace underneath the ups and downs of your kind of immediate emotional life where you're mm -hmm. responding to different stimuli in different ways. And then somebody like Oscar Wilde might come along and say, no, 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 no. Sorrow is good. Hmm. So he gives us a really different answer. And then we find ourselves sitting with the question, am I looking for that kind of equanimity? Am I looking to maximize pleasure? Or am I looking for this sort of like responsiveness potentially to a tragic world that suggests that a deep sorrow is an important aspect of a good life. And those are really different answers. And they're going to yeah. shape how you live in really different ways. Now, of course, this could lead to a lot of confusion. If you really open yourself up to all these competing mm. visions, there's a chance you'll just come away super muddled. Like, well, I don't know, all these smart people came up with these totally different things. So how do you encourage people to find their own path while also listening to these competing ones? Sometimes for my students at Yale, at least, I encourage them to think about some of these encounters with these various different traditions as opportunities to sort of discern their own intuitions a little bit more clearly. It can be really revealing to find someone who deepens something you've always intuited, but they've now given expression to, or maybe they say something that you find so appalling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it actually helps sort of clarify something you didn't know was quite so important to you until you heard someone express, you know, just the opposite. There's something about looking outside as well, right? Looking, thinking about lives that we admire, especially lives that maybe don't look much like ours that we really, really admire. What can we learn from them? What, what are ways that they might actually challenge some of our intuitions. And there's always going to be an element of risk. Yeah. You're, you're never going to be in a position where you can be absolutely top to bottom sure, because there always will be these other people out there who've thought really hard 
right. and seem to be at least as wise as you <laughs> and have come to really different answers than the ones you've come from. And I think it's important to take seriously that 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 leaves us in a position where we've got to hold these convictions <laughs> as we come to them, but recognizing the risky posture that it always is going to be. Yeah, recognizing that they may be very true for us, but not necessarily for another smart person who's come to a different conclusion. And there may be a, then, then a way of reconciling that difference, or it may be that one of us is just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it may be that both of us are just wrong. That's always the most likely possibility, yeah. <laughs> actually. When we disagree, we're probably both wrong in some really important way. But I think that's really key to figure out how do I, how do I take really seriously the possibility that I am fundamentally mistaken right. about what is most important in my life? <laughs> And yet also have the courage each day to try to, to live courageously in the direction that my convictions, wrong though they might be, the <laughs> convictions that I've worked my best to try to, you know, get them rightly aligned, to, to live courageously in pursuit or in faithfulness to, to those commitments, to do both those things, to have that humility to say I might be wrong, and yet the courage uh, to live out the strength of my convictions at the same time. That's, that's a really high bar, but I think it's one worth living into for me. Thanks for listening, everyone. Tomorrow, Matt and Ryan will be back to help us think about how to break down the big question into smaller, more manageable questions. Asking what the meaning of life is is daunting if you take it all at once, but tomorrow, they'll help us approach it in smaller steps. If you want to hear all their ideas sooner, along with insights from hundreds of big thinkers, download our Next Big Idea app. I'm Michael Kovnet. See you tomorrow. <laughs>